As Iyanla Van Zant once said, it's important that we share our experiences with other people. Your story will heal you and your story will heal somebody else. At Project Sleep, we believe that your stories matter, which is why we train people with sleep disorders on how to share their stories through our Rising Voices program. This Rising Voices podcast series features a variety of firsthand stories from people living with sleep disorders around the world. Each person's story offers unique and important insights. Welcome to Project Sleep's podcast. Project Sleep is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to raising awareness and advocating for sleep health, sleep equity, and sleep disorders. I'm your host, Julie Flygar. We're so glad you're here as we work together towards making sleep cool. On this podcast, all guests express their own opinions. While medical diagnoses and treatment options are discussed for educational purposes, this information should not be taken as medical advice. Each person's experience is so unique, which is why it's so important to always consult your own medical team when making decisions about your own health. If you haven't done so yet, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss a Project Sleep podcast episode. And if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a rating or review wherever you listen so that we can reach more listeners and raise more awareness. Hello, everyone. And I'm so excited because we have an awesome speaker. Dr. Mindy McKenna is a recently retired grandmother of five with a third degree black belt in Taekwondo living in Kansas City. She has been living with narcolepsy for over 25 years and is sharing her story because she hopes to help accelerate diagnosis and improve treatment for this often misunderstood condition. As a speaker with Rising Voices, she will help us all understand what it can be like to be diagnosed with and living with this serious sleep disorder. Well, thank you, Julie, so much. I'm from Kansas, which is right in the middle of the country. I'm going to tell you my story about living with a sleep disorder. So my childhood years back in the 1960s were really fun and carefree. I was very active and um, I was the beloved baby of the family. I was constantly swimming and horseback riding with my father and life was great at first. And then when I was eight years old, my father and my grandfather were in a car accident. They were hit by a drunk driver. Daddy was killed instantly, and Pop was hospitalized for several months, and it was really tough. And um, soon after that, another awful thing happened to me. One night, these four men just came advancing toward me. They were dressed in dark black clothes and gloves and hoods and big boots and and face masks, and I was terrified. They are just coming at me. I couldn't scream. I couldn't run. I couldn't do anything. I was completely paralyzed. And on they came. They started hitting me with their fists and kicking me with their boots. And it really hurt. I was so scared. They were beating me so badly. I thought I died. And then I woke up. And that same dream began happening to me two or three nights a week. Something was clearly wrong. So mom took me to our physician. He thought I was just upset because my daddy had died a few months earlier. And he told my mom, oh, she'll grow out of it. But I didn't. By high school, in addition to the terrifying dreams, I began struggling each day to stay awake. I'd be in school with friends, sitting or standing. It didn't matter. I'd fall asleep. 
For example, my senior year, our football team won the state championship. Now that's a big fat deal. So of course, there's this giant party for all the athletes and the pom-pom girls and everybody's all excited and wound up. And there I am standing in the middle of the room, sound asleep. Weird, right? My friends thought so. And I thought so too. Then I went to college. The nightmares didn't come as often, but my daytime sleepiness was becoming worse. During classes, I would do all kinds of things to keep myself awake. I would take lots and lots of notes. I would suck on candy or cough drops. I even began pinching my thighs really hard. I wasn't into self-abuse. I just wanted to pass my classes. And I did. I graduated in three years with a double major in personnel administration and industrial psychology. Today, I think they usually call that organizational development. I wanted to be a business person, and I was interested to understand why do people behave the way they do in the workplace? Well, after graduating, I began working full-time at Marion Laboratories, a large pharmaceutical company. At that point, I didn't know anything about science or healthcare. Everyone in my family had been either business executives or educators. I chose that company because it had a fabulous CEO, and it was known as a great place to work. Soon after I started, I went back to school at night to earn an MBA, which was kind of a big thing back in the 1980s, and I've always been very goal-oriented. Meanwhile, I did become fascinated by the science of healthcare, so I ended up earning a PhD in pharmaceutical science administration. That's not so much about how drugs are metabolized inside our bodies. It's more about the interactions between the research and the manufacturing and the sales of medicines around the world. We focused on pharmacoeconomics and uh, epidemiology and other statistical and analytical aspects of medicine. I didn't pursue it because of my unexplained symptoms. I just thought that science was interesting, and I liked the fact that healthcare helps people. Despite my sleep challenges, I managed to succeed in work and in grad school, and I'd figured out ways of dealing with my symptoms. For example, I learned to study early in the mornings when I was less likely to fall asleep and to take naps whenever I could sneak them in. I also continued pinching my thighs. Yeah, it hurt, but I lived. Eventually, though, I realized this is ridiculous. So I asked my doctor for help. He referred me to a hospital and they did a sleep study. Guess what they told me afterward? You fall asleep easily. <laughs> no kidding. But they didn't give me any actionable suggestions for what to do. Instead, they just said, well, try to learn to live with it. So I did. It wasn't easy. Finally, at age 35, things began to look up for me. You see, I'd begun dating a man named Joe, who's now my husband, I'm happy to say. It didn't take Joe long at all to realize something was not right. He said, Mindy, it's not normal to fall asleep at parties or at work or while you're talking with your friends. You have to do something. I told him I'd had a sleep study and nothing came from it. He said, well, try again. So I did. That time, the hospital did two studies, one at night and one during the daytime. For the first study, which is a polysomnography, I had a check in the hospital late one evening. 
They hooked me up with all sorts of electrodes and wires all over my head and my body. They took me into a tiny bedroom with a huge glass window, and they said, okay, now get a good night's sleep. <laughs> yep, right. Afterward, the technician told me most people only sleep about five or six hours. After all, it's an unfamiliar place, and you're all wired up. You're being observed by a stranger. So I asked him, well, how'd I do? He said, well, ma'am, you were in that room for eight hours and 30 minutes, and you slept eight hours and 27 minutes. <laughs> the second study they did is called a daytime multiple sleep latency test. For that one, they let me take several naps in a day, which was pretty cool. Each time I laid down, they measured whether I fell asleep, and if so, for how long, and what type of sleep waves occurred in my brain. They were interested in how quickly and how frequently I went into rapid eye movement, which is the dream sleep state. Now, for most people, it's probably difficult to fall asleep during a midday nap in a strange setting. Not for me. I fell asleep every single time, instantly. And I always slept for as long as they would let me. So after a few days, I met with a sleep specialist and she got right down to business. She said, you have a clear case of narcolepsy. What's that? I asked. I'd never even heard of it. She explained it's a serious chronic neurological disorder of the sleep-wake cycle. It affects about one in 2,000 people, like Jimmy Kimmel, for example, and George Church, who founded the first human genome project. So the physician said that having narcolepsy was why I'd experienced what I called nightmares. She said they're actually called hypnagogic or hypnopompic hallucinations, visual, auditory, or tactile hallucinations that people have upon waking or falling asleep. She explained that the sensation I'd had of not being able to run during that nightmare, that was due to sleep paralysis, the inability to move for a few seconds upon falling asleep or waking up. It often accompanies the hallucinations. She told me my challenge staying awake during the day was what is technically called excessive daytime sleepiness, periods of extreme sleepiness during the day that feel comparable to how someone without narcolepsy would feel after they stayed awake for 48 to 72 hours. My physician then explained that some people with narcolepsy experience disrupted nighttime sleep. And unlike public perceptions, people with narcolepsy don't sleep all the time. The timing of their sleepiness is off with narcolepsy, so they may struggle to stay awake during the day and then struggle to sleep at night. Then the physician asked me, Mindy, when you're startled by something, do your knees ever buckle out from under you? No, I replied, feeling puzzled. She explained that many people with narcolepsy experience a symptom called cataplexy, striking sudden episodes of muscle weakness. It's usually triggered by strong emotions like laughter, exhilaration, anger, or surprise. And the severity can vary from just a little slackening of the jaw or a buckling of the knees to falling down. The duration might be for a few seconds or it could last several minutes. The person remains fully conscious even if they're unable to sleep during the episode. 
My physician then told me that to distinguish between those who do and don't experience the symptom of cataplexy, healthcare professionals refer to narcolepsy with cataplexy as type 1 and narcolepsy without cataplexy as type 2. Research suggests that narcolepsy with cataplexy is caused by a lack of hypocretin, which is a key neurotransmitter that helps sustain alertness and regulate the sleep-wake cycle. Less is known about the cause of narcolepsy with cataplexy. Physicians shared a lot of other information with me that day. I don't remember all of it. Until then, I had no idea why I was having those terrifying dreams or why I struggled so much to stay awake. So you might be wondering, well, what would that feel like to finally be diagnosed? Well, I'd known something was wrong. So when she named the condition and explained about it, she was addressing a huge mystery in my life. At first, I admit I felt really frustrated. I mean, by then, I'd been dealing with those symptoms for over 27 years. I sought help from a physician and from a hospital sleep lab. So when I finally, at age 35, received the diagnosis, I thought to myself, why did that have to take so long? I also felt another powerful emotion, a sense of relief. For a quarter of a century, I'd been wondering, why can't I stay awake like normal people? So to learn that I had an actual medical condition, well, that made me feel less alone and not so misunderstood. Frankly, the main thing that I remember from that day is what happened the instant after I left her office. You see, back then, virtually every public building, including doctor's offices, had pay phones because smartphones weren't yet available. So right after leaving my appointment, I went out to that payphone and I called my parents and I said, hey, there's a name for what I have. It's called narcolepsy and it's serious. And you need to stop making fun of me. I mean, you need to make some adjustments and realize that I'm dealing with this and I need some respect. And so they did. I mean, my parents hadn't been hateful. They hadn't been cruel. They just didn't know any better. None of us had ever heard about narcolepsy. So having finally been correctly diagnosed, what were my options? Well, unfortunately, there's currently no cure for narcolepsy, but there are treatment options. There are wake promoters or stimulants for daytime sleeping. And sedatives can increase the um, deep sleep at night. People with cataplexy sometimes use antidepressants to deal with that particular symptom. And in general, they always encourage people with narcolepsy to improve their health and their wellness through sleep hygiene and diet and fitness. Those are key. Many of us, me included, benefit from taking daily naps. In my case, a 10-minute nap mid-morning and a 10-minute nap mid-afternoon well, it makes a huge difference in the quality of life for me <laughs> and for my loved ones. Finding the optimal treatment has been a long, ongoing process. I've tried various wake-promoting stimulant medications over the years, and many of them, unfortunately, had intolerable side effects. So my physician and I kept making adjustments. I'm currently using a form of a patch, this stimulant, that works great. It has a smooth mechanism of action, so the impact is steady throughout the day. 
And then I supplement that with three small additional doses of a short-acting stimulant throughout the day, plus one nighttime medication. Well, you might be wondering, wow, that's a lot. What's it like to live with narcolepsy? And I've been asked that question a lot, and I describe it a couple of ways. The first one is by referring to ceiling lights. I mean, some lights have a dimmer switch, right? As you slide the switch up, the room gradually becomes lighter. And I think that's probably like what it feels like for most people as they gradually wake up in the morning. Then as you slide the switch down and the room gradually becomes darker, I think that's probably how most people feel as they gradually become sleepier before bedtime. I don't have a dimmer switch. I have on and off. One second, I'm awake. The next second, I'm asleep, often without warning. Not everyone with narcolepsy experiences this phenomenon. It's just how the disease works in my situation. The second way that I describe what it feels like to have narcolepsy is by talking about monkey bars. You remember those, don't you? From back when you were a kid? We'd climb up a ladder and we'd grab hold of a bar and start swinging our legs back and forth to get the momentum going. And eventually we'd be swinging hard enough that we could let go with one of our hands and reach out and grab the next bar. And we'd keep swinging our legs and then we'd grab another bar and one after another. But I would begin to wear out. I couldn't focus on making it all the way across the monkey bars. I was just trying to hang on so I wouldn't drop to the ground. For a person with narcolepsy, or at least in my experience, many days, I feel like I'm hanging on to monkey bars. It takes all my effort just to keep from falling down. But as I mentioned, my medications have really helped, and I'm thankful for them. I always take them right on schedule, four times a day, in fact. <laughs> yeah, that's not easy. Perhaps some of you have had to take medicine several times a day. In my case, taking medicine four times a day, 365 days a year for the past 25 years, it's been a lot. And often the medications needed by those with narcolepsy, they're controlled substances. That means the medicines are vulnerable to becoming addictive or being misused. And so there's lots of rules and restrictions for the doctors and the pharmacists and the insurance companies. What that means for me is that every 30 days, I have to start the process over. I call the doctor's office and I ask them for my refills and they issue the prescriptions to the pharmacy who refills them if all those various rules were met. Navigating that giant complex puzzle every 30 days for the past quarter of a century <laughs> sometimes been discouraging, but I've done it. One thing that helps me stay positive comes from something that a friend of mine told me. He has diabetes and must often inject himself with insulin. So one day, I saw him step out of the room to inject himself, and I asked him, what's that like for you? You know what he told me? He said, I look at it as a pause in my day, an opportunity for gratitude. What a cool idea. So now, I do that too. Four times a day, Whenever I take my medication, I pause and I make a little prayer of gratitude. I give thanks for the scientists who discovered the condition and those who are working to come up with newer, better medications. Thanks that I have access to qualified healthcare specialists and insurance to help pay for my medicines. 
I'm thankful for my family and my friends who've been supportive every step of the way. I'm thankful that I've been able to have a successful career. I'm really proud of that. Life with narcolepsy has not been easy, but I have had a good life. My husband, Joe, and I, we've built a good marriage. I have a rewarding career, traveling to conferences all over the world, sometimes for weeks at a time. Each time I take care to ensure that I have enough medicine to last me until I would return home. It usually worked out. (laughs) Well, except for that one time when I went on a medical service trip to Honduras. My arrival and my time there went fine. But when we were scheduled to depart, there were heavy rains and the airport flooded. So our plane didn't take off. We had to wait for the next flight on the next day, which, of course, was overbooked with all the people from the day before. And on it went. Well, long story short, I did eventually make it back to the USA, thanks to the rest of the team. Because you guessed it, I ran out of medication. So I ended up sleeping through the last few flights and gate areas. Because without medication, I can't stay awake, not even for a day. I mean, without my medication, I couldn't drive. I couldn't work. I couldn't even be talking with you right now. But somehow through the years, I've always found a way to deal with my narcolepsy and to keep going. For example, when I was to speak at a medical conference, which was a key part of my job at the American Academy of Family Physicians, where I worked the last 12 years of my career, I'd always check the schedule in advance and I'd plan when I would be able to sneak off for my twice a day naps. It usually worked out fine, except that one time. I was at a conference down south. Came time for my afternoon nap and I decided, hey, I'll go snooze on the beach. I mean, who wouldn't want to enjoy all that southern sunshine? Seemed reasonable to me. But you guessed it, someone caught me out there and they thought, I was sleeping on the job, which I guess technically I was, but I did have a doctor's note to back me up. Anyway, over the years, despite some of the obstacles that narcolepsy brings, I've always worked it out. That's what people with narcolepsy do, right? We work it out. And not just the challenges of managing our sleep disorder. Life is full of challenges for everyone. When I was 45, That's 15 years ago, for those of you who are keeping track. I was diagnosed with melanoma, a potentially lethal form of skin cancer. I was fortunate. The melanoma was surgically excised, and no chemo or radiation were needed. But what a wake-up call. I quickly became motivated to be more diligent about exercising on a regular basis. Because we all know, if we find ourselves needing to go through chemo or radiation, we're going to be far better off if our baseline is good. So I flipped open the yellow pages. I know, right? But, I mean, that was 15 years ago, and people still used phone books back then. And I found a YMCA that offered Taekwondo classes. And I went to the class, and I fell in love with the sport. And it became a huge part of my lifestyle. Over the years, I kept progressing. And eventually, I became a third-degree black belt. Was it harder with narcolepsy? Well, of course. Could I do it? Absolutely. For example, during our all-day tournaments, in which I was both a competitor and a judge, I just made sure the officials knew that I would need to take a short break each morning and each afternoon to, stay, to step out and take my medications on schedule. 
So what does the future hold for me now? Well, I mean, who knows? Who knows for all of us, right? I am thankful that narcolepsy is not at this point known to shorten life expectancy. Yay. I've recently retired and Joe is retired and we have a blast with our five awesome grandchildren who live like 10 minutes away. We also have lots of cool nieces and nephews and siblings and friends and people to see places to go, you know. Also, I'm committed to using some of my time to raise awareness about narcolepsy. Because currently, the average lapse time between onset of symptoms and accurate diagnosis is three to five years, and 10 to 15 year delays are not uncommon. That's too long. In my case, it took 27 years from that first hallucination as an eight year old child until the date I was finally diagnosed. That's over a quarter of a century of living with a condition that was not being treated. And it's estimated that the majority of people with narcolepsy are currently undiagnosed or misdiagnosed. Well, clearly, people who have not been accurately diagnosed are not going to be receiving the treatment that they need. That's not okay. I'm thankful that research is underway to improve diagnosis and care. I'm hopeful that one day there will be a cure for narcolepsy or maybe a way to prevent it. Meanwhile, I'm doing what I can to help ensure that narcolepsy is better understood so that people with it will be more promptly diagnosed and more appropriately treated, and frankly, that they will be respected by their family and friends. So that's why I've shared my story with you today. Yay! Great job, Mindy! I know that I have a question. I'll start. First of all, just thank you so much for sharing tonight. And there are so many things that I even wrote down, like that were like, oh my gosh, we're just such powerful moments that I have had goosebumps and I've heard you, you know, present a few times now, but it's just still so powerful. I, when you said something about, you know, I wasn't into self-abuse. I just wanted to stay awake, you know, with, with pinching yourself. I think like that is just... I remember for me, I slapped myself when I was trying to wake myself up really hard. And it's like, you know, just trying to stay awake. But um, I just thought that was a powerful line among many other positive things you shared about your experience. I had a question about having grandkids. I have found it's really fun to talk about my narcolepsy a little bit with my niece, who's five. And so I was curious, like, have you told your grandkids about your narcolepsy or how have those conversations happened or how's it gone? Yeah. So my grandchildren, they're all in one family, and they range from 16 to 5, and so they have different levels of understanding. But they do see me take my medicines from time to time. You know, we may be at the lake or whatever, and they'll see me stop and take my medicine. And so I've told them, I have this thing called narcolepsy, and I fall asleep suddenly, and, you know, I take my treatment for it, and the doctors really help me. And they're very supportive. You know, children, I think they're just, they're just curious. You know, they want to understand what's life like. So yeah, I'm real authentic and real transparent and open with everyone about that. That's good. I think my favorite story was my niece um, when she was, cause she's five. Uh, she, she actually seen me give my presentation once, which is really fun uh, in Boston. But then I was visiting maybe like six months later or, or eight months later, and we were talking about koalas. And we were talking about how koalas like to sleep a lot. And um, then I said something about eucalyptus, how they eat eucalyptus. And she says, is that the thing that you have? 
And I was like, eucalyptus? I said, no, that's not what I have. I have narcolepsy. And it took me a few seconds to realize though that she'd associated the sleepiness. We were talking about sleepiness, mm-hmm. you know, so eucalyptus, uh, she thought was narcolepsy. I like, I, eucalyptus could be a cool name <laughs> for a condition. Uh, that was pretty cute. See how their minds work. She was, you know, she was right there. It was just a slightly different word. One other question, I guess, from my perspective is you worked for in continuing education for family doctors or, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So do you feel like there was much awareness there about sleep disorders or, you know, or not so much or any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a great question. So a lot of the physicians, family physicians, of course, have to be prepared to deal with any condition from cradle to grave, you know, and some of them are chronic and some of them are emergency. And what I found is that they would do a little bit of education on sleep disorders. Typically, they would focus on sleep apnea because that's a big concern right now and insomnia. But narcolepsy, I think it kind of depends on where you live of how much awareness there is in the medical community, honestly. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's, you know, I mean, that's kind of our understanding, but hopefully we can even sometimes just mentioning it, I found that even conferences about sleep, sometimes I'll go to a conference about sleep, not so much anymore, but about 10 years ago, I go to a meeting and it's about sleep and the whole meeting would be about other things. And so I would just even get up and ask a question. And in my question, I would say, I'm a person with narcolepsy. And I knew, I figured that as a way that people would even hear the word once, you know, and then it just kind of puts a bug in their ear. And then during coffee breaks, people would come over to me and say, oh my gosh, you have narcolepsy. That's so interesting. Tell us more. So yeah, um, hopefully we can just get people, you know, thinking about both things that are really common, but also things that are a little bit less common. Someone asked if any of your children or grandchildren have narcolepsy. Do you have any narcolepsy in your family? Actually, that's a great question. So I didn't really clarify my my grandchildren are step-grandchildren because when I married Joe, he already had a son. But when I was in my late 20s, I was looking through some genealogy books from my paternal grandmother, and they had genealogy going all the way back. They came over to the United States in 1614, so it was before the United States was even the United States. Well, anyway, so I'm reading this thing, and it turns out one of my grandmother's brothers back in the 1800s, it said he was a farmer and he was really bright and had all these interesting irrigation techniques for farming. But it said he was an odd fellow. He would fall asleep in the middle of the day for 15 minutes and then wake back up. And I thought, my people, this is it. This, this is where I got it from. <laughs> oh my God, that's so crazy that they described it so carefully like that. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. Glad to have uh, Mindy and so thankful that Mindy would share her story with us. You're just an amazing woman and such an inspiration to myself and our community. So I'm just glad that we could get more people to hear your story through this. And uh, one more question, I guess, is how has been your experience giving, you've given a few speaking engagements. I have. Yeah. And Julie, I, you've been so wonderful about raising awareness and creating opportunities for myself and others to help kind of get the word out. And it's been really intriguing. I mean, I've met people who've said, I've never known anyone with narcolepsy. Pretty much, I I don't usually hear anyone say, I've never heard of narcolepsy anymore. So thankfully, I think the awareness is growing a little bit. 
but there are a lot of misconceptions and um, inaccurate myths, you know, about what narcolepsy is and what it's like to live with it. And so I think people are, are particularly interested in what are the new advances scientifically that are coming out? What are the new medications that can help? And also, what are the things that people can do? And I think it's so empowering to know if we get a good night's sleep or if we eat right or we you know, have some kind of an exercise program, we have social interaction, that those things we can do to help ourselves. So I think it's a combination of we do need the professional medical community to be helping us with scientific advances. And we also can do the things that are up to each of us to do. But it's always a joy to speak about it. And I, in fact, I can remember over the years, one of the many, many years ago when I was on one of the first or second medications I'd ever been on. And I, I just felt like I kind of got my life back because I'd been really, really careful about driving uh, until I was properly medicated because I never knew when I would fall asleep. And so I wrote this little love note to the, the company that manufactured the product. And I said, not really a love note, but a, a note of gratitude. And I said, thank you so much for discovering this and manufacturing this and making it available because, you know, I get my life back and it really, you know, for real human beings out there, this makes a difference. And uh, knowing that, you know, I had worked in a drug company once upon a time many years ago, and it's exciting, I think, for people to feel like, hey, the, the science that we're doing is actually helping a real life human being. That is, that is so important to remember, I, you know, for every, there's so many people in our community that are working on new treatments and sometimes it can feel so far off that, you know, it can feel like, oh, is this really making advancements? But they really are, and they are really impacting people. And that's a good reminder to remember there are clinical trials too. So with a lot of advancement, there is clinical trials happening for narcolepsy and participating in those is a great way that we can help um, make advances as well because we can't get new treatments unless they get people are willing to be part of clinical trials. I just want to thank you again for sharing your story and for all that you're doing in raising awareness in your community. Um, thank you everyone for tuning in. The Project Sleep Podcast is produced by Carver Sound Productions. For more information on podcast production services, visit carversoundproductions.com.